Shalom Aleichem, welcome to The Schmooze. I'm Lisa Newman, and today I'm visiting with Ilan Stavins. Ilan is the publisher of Restless Books and the Lewis Sebring Professor of Humanities and Latin American and Latino Culture at Amherst College. He's the author, editor, and co-editor of numerous books, magazine, articles, and among many other things, um, including the award-winning best-selling anthology, How Yiddish Changed America and How America Changed Yiddish, a recently published selected translation, and the forthcoming Jewish literature, a very short introduction. Welcome, Ilan. How are you? I'm very well, and I'm thrilled to be with you in the schmooze again. I love having you on the schmooze always. And and the title of your forthcoming or maybe published this week, a very short introduction is also um, relevant because your introduction was very short. Um, you have quite uh, <laughs> quite the long list um, of <laughs> accomplishments. Um, you are a busy man. Um, so let's get started. Uh, if I can ask you to give a little background about this sheer, sorry, series of short introductions from Oxford Press, um, what the series is and sort of how, it, how you came to put this volume together. The series may be already, I guess, like, 10 years uh, going. Uh, it's a delightful uh, series of books, all of them very, very short, that attempt to uh, summarize in intelligent, uh, thought-provoking ways uh, complex ideas, uh, complex fields, uh, disciplines, uh, scientific quests. Uh, they have published many, many titles uh, in this decade. Um, and uh, they approached me with the idea of doing an introduction to Jewish literature. I love the, the, the conundrum that that posed. Uh, Jewish literature is a very complex, uh, multifaceted entity, hard to uh, define. And so uh, the task is always almost like a, like a crossword puzzle or, or uh, a jigsaw puzzle as well. Uh, to do it in a way that is compact. They only give you about 30,000 words altogether. Um, and um, in a fashion that invites the reader uh, to think beyond what you're seeing and in, in, with strategies that will push that reader to look for more. In other words, not giving answers, but uh, offering some questions. Um, and I was, uh, at first I, I was hesitant because of how uh, monstrous, how, how, how diverse, uh, eclectic Jewish literature is. But uh, I think the task was in the end uh, very attractive and it took me about two years to put it all together. Um, and yes, it's just published beginning of July. That is this month. Um, so you cover the topic from Jewish literature from its earliest day to the present, so 1492 to be specific to the present, and you touch on literature in the original, translation, new forms of books, children's literature, and I, again, I, I love it because it did for me as a reader just what you said. It sort of maps things out. I wonder if you can talk about sort of Jewish narrative in a broad sense and how it applies in this situation and in the way that you've mapped out the book, if, mm -hmm. it, does, if it does for you. Um, yeah. Yes, sure. Um, well, the, the main 
question that I ask myself is, what is modern Jewish literature? Um, what do we consider modern? Uh, what makes that literature Jewish? And in what sense is it still literature when uh, so much has happened in the last 100 years with the book as a, as a conduit of knowledge? Uh, I enjoy very much visiting with the great Jewish book kids at the Yiddish Book Center every year. And uh, one of the big questions that I ask them uh, during my visit is precisely that. What makes Jewish, great Jewish literature great and Jewish and literature? In what way this artifact that we call the book uh, has mutated in front of our eyes? Uh, do we still think of literature as book-driven? Um, should literature also be uh, comic strips, uh, superhero adventures, graphic novels, screenplays, television series, uh, movies, uh, and so on, uh, what, what happens in the internet. And um, I, uh, the, the, the leitmotif, Lisa, is uh, are we, the Jews, still the people of the book? Uh, why have we been called the people of the book? Um, have we lived up to that, uh, to that uh, moniker or representation? And in what way in modernity has, uh, has the people of the book sentence uh, or representation changed? Have we become the people of the children's book or of the graphic novel or of the Netflix uh, miniseries? And uh, I, I, in the end, the argument that I make is that we were at the very beginning before modernity with the biblical narrative um, at the, right there historically at the moment where the book became an object. Uh, the scroll that uh, uh, metamorphosized into what we consider the book with, with covers, with paper, with ink, and of course, uh, that in and of itself underwent a very long transformation um, to the moment of uh, the Gutenberg uh, printer and uh, the portable paperback, uh, the children's book that can be made of cardboard or can be make, made of of, of leather or of a, a plastic and many other things. And uh, in, in terms of Jewish literature and modern Jewish literature, in what sense um, do, could we say that modernity begins at any given moment, say the enlightenment um, in the, with a French uh, encyclopedist like uh, Diderot and, and D'Alembert and Voltaire, uh, or could we say that uh, it starts with the Jewish Haskalah, the Jewish Enlightenment, when the Jews were invited to uh, be part, full-fledged uh, members of the civil European society? Uh, I, in the book, suggest that 1492 might be the best moment to uh, uh, announce that the birth of, of uh, modernity includes the Jews. This is the moment in which the convivencia in Spain, the, the coexistence between the three major Abrahamic religions, uh, Judaism, Islam, and Christianity, um, has a, an illustrious period but comes to an end. The Jews are expelled from Spain. They have been by then expelled from other European 
countries, but the, the, the experience in, in Spain because of the role of the Spanish Inquisition is particularly traumatic given the size of the Jewish community in Sfarat and the presence of narratives, poetry, a philosophical inquiry, a religious responsa that was a very much a part of the, of the Sephardic culture, of the Spanish culture. So from 1492, from the Conversos, the Crypto-Jews, the Marranos, the Anusim, um, sometimes those terms refer to the same entity, sometimes they refer to varieties of the Jewish experience in Spain. At the moment of 1492, the kind of glass breaks and the water spills all over. Uh, the Jewish uh, Sephardic diaspora goes to Northern Africa, to Italy, to uh, the Netherlands, to the Balkans, to uh, places like the Americas, in the United States, Brazil, other parts of the Americas. And there's a lot that the Jews uh, that converted uh, or had a hidden identity write about their experience, how this dual sense of self uh, exists. In that duality, the, the being an insider and being an outsider, being ostracized, anti-Semitism, pushing the Jew to the edge, having been a very important player in Spanish society, will remain in the, the, the attitude, the behavior, the, the, the perspective that modern Jews will have in the many subsequent diasporas. Uh, the Yiddish diaspora in, in Ashkenaz, in, in Eastern Europe, in other parts uh, of Europe and in the world, uh, the, the Sephardic world uh, expanding into the very illustrious Sephardic tradition in France, in England, in Portugal, in the Netherlands. So what is it that makes us all Jewish? Uh, what is it that keeps our books uh, going? How is it that somebody who doesn't read Dutch or doesn't read Portuguese or doesn't read Spanish or English, it, it still feels like a Jewish reader and will connect with all this literature? I find this absolutely fascinating. And let me tell you one more thing, Lisa, that, that, um, that really kind of sparks my, my imagination. Whereas we can say that American literature is the literature of Americans, and Americans are those that live in the United States or are connected with the United States directly, speak the English language, um, respond or react to the same flag, to the same territory, to the same set of um, historical motifs, and the same thing for French literature or Italian literature, Jewish literature is very complex, amorphous, eh, maybe even elusive and ethereal, because eh, the motifs might be the same, but not necessarily. Kafka is a Jewish writer, and so is eh, Peretz. One is writing in Yiddish, the other is writing in German. Eh, Peretz sees himself really connected with uh, the legacy of Hasidism, the legacy of the Talmud in the Bible. Uh, uh, Kafka is an assimilated Jew, has a lot of questions about his own standing in Czech society. 
It, he doesn't write in, in, in Czech, he writes in German, and he never uses the word Jew in his literature, not once. In his, in his um, correspondence, in his diaries, he always reflects about being Jewish, but the metamorphosis or the castle or the trial, it, they, they might be very Jewish, but they don't really uh, have the word Jew or Jewish characters per se. So I would say that what makes Jewish literature Jewish is the sensibility that it will pop up in different parts of the world. And that sensibility might be identified by the author uh, and acknowledged and presented, or the author might not even be fully um, uh, pushing for it, like Marcel Proust, for instance, a, a descendant of Jews, but really a, a a Jewish writer, I would argue he was a Jewish writer, but a Jewish writer from a different perspective. And the same thing goes for many others. The Jewish sensibility can also be recognized by the reader. And maybe what makes Jewish literature Jewish is not the writer, is not the book itself, but it's the reader that comes to many of these books and wants to find a, a thread among them that uh, that turns them into the canon of Jewish modern Jewish literature. Yeah, it's it's a fascinating topic um, to me, and I think, if I may, as a reader, you succeeded in putting that out there for me. I, you know, I used to have a history teacher who said history always repeats itself, and we also learned um, in terms of. Um, looking at all aspects of culture horizontally. So you would see how science um, and music and literature and art um, are all impacted by their contemporary circumstances and how it plays out in, in all of these forms of, you know, sort of cultural output, a term I don't like to use, but that's what's so interesting in the way I think that you've put this collection together is that you've looked at you've looked at the sort of surrounding circumstances and and how how that informed this work and i guess what i'm driving at is at to ask you two questions relative to that ilan mm -hmm. which is one how did you how did you approach this in terms of looking at it internally as jewish and mm -hmm. also allowing for that external interpretation from a reader. It doesn't have, you know, nothing has to be distinctly Jewish to be Jewish literature. Yeah. Um, the, 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 this is such a, a, an essential question, Lisa, because this sense of Jewishness, this, this sensibility or this identity um, might be registered very overtly or may, might be hidden tacit. There's a famous um, philosopher that taught at the University of Chicago, uh, Leo Strauss, who argued that a Jewish text uh, sends two messages. The message that is clear and that everybody can recognize, and then a hidden secret message that is designed only for a few readers to catch. And in that sense, if it succeeds, it creates a kind of smaller circle of followers of that text, maybe the Jews that are going to be able 
to decipher those elements, those the, the motifs, the symbols, and feel an empathy, a sense of belonging, and ultimately a connection with the text and the author that will help them define themselves in whatever moment in, 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 in territory they are. You know, every, every so often, and, and rather also frequently, somebody comes along and says, the end of the Jewish diaspora is at stake. It's evident, and with it comes the end of Jewish literature. At one point, Irvin Howe, the distinguished American Jewish literary critic, suggested in the introduction to an anthology of Jewish American literature, American short stories, or American Jewish short stories, because there's always this debate of what you should put first, Jewish or American. In, in that introduction, he argued that with the generation of the children of the immigrants, of the Jewish immigrants to the United States, the end of Jewish literature in America was tangible, that there was not going to be anything um, uh, worthy of, of, the, of the applause after Abraham Kahan, after Isaac Pashev Zinger, after Anzia Yazerska and others. But, you know, 60, 70 years later, of course, we have the Philip Roths and the Sol Bellows and the Malamuts and the Cynthia Ozics and so many other important Jewish writers that have figured out how to reflect on being Jewish by being distant from the immigrant experience, but not necessarily distant from what it means to be cut at the heart by this duality of am I Jewish, uh, am I American, in what sense one will impose itself uh, on the other. And um, I think that Jewish literature will always exist uh, as long as Jews retain this uh, privileged position of being the insiders and the outsiders of whatever society they are in. In other words, keeping the sense of a, a minority identity. When we forget who we are as a minority, when we forget who we are as a religious or cultural or political group, then that is the end of our own uh, quest. But as long as somebody's reminding us, and that might be an anti-Semite, that might be simply another minority, or that might be our, ourselves who are telling each other, the next generation or the generation that came before, that uh, this is one more chapter in a long uh, story that we've been telling for thousands and thousands of years. We come and go, we connect with those that came before, and we leave something for those that came after us, um, it is a, a kind of novel that is being written. The author is God. Uh, we are the characters in Jewish literature. Modern Jewish literature is only the different chapters that are part of that very large, almost Dickensian novel that will uh, be offering a variety of perspectives. Sometimes it will be in Portuguese, it will be in Russian, in Polish, in English, in French, in Yiddish, in Hebrew, in Spanish. Um, it will be multilingual. What other literature in the world can pride itself of being multilingual to the degree that we are? And I think the essential characteristic of Jewish literature is that it lives in translation. Even when it's, when it's written in the original, 
It lives in translation because it will be read by others in other languages that will feel a sense of connection, of rootedness, of, of being anchored by what a writer that is very distant, very foreign to them, is producing in a faraway land and in a, in a language they have no knowledge about. It's interesting when you, when you talk about that, you, you know, I think of 1492, I think of Glickel and I think of, um, let's say, Grace Paley, both, mm-hmm. both bringing a Jewish experience, but obviously reflected in a, by their, their personal experiences in vastly different times. Um, I, I'd also want to ask you, Ilan, um, had you approached this book or been asked to write this book, you know, 20 years ago, 10 years ago, mm. um, as opposed to now, how do you think your change, how do you think that would have changed what's included? Lisa, I love that question. I, 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 maybe I wrote the book in order for you to ask that question. <laughs> it's it's no. so wonderful. But before I answer a, or I, I attempt to offer an answer to that really inspiring question, I, it's just a strike of, of, of luck that you are putting together and, and more than luck of knowledge, deep knowledge of your putting, that you're putting together in the same sentence, those two wonderful women, a, a Jewish writers, Glickel, who writes an incredible diary um, at the outset of uh, Ashkenazic modernity about the role of a woman whose husband dies and who has to keep the family finances going, who has to protect her kids, who understands the role of ritual and does it in a way that uh, first is only intended for the family, but that diary survives in the memoirs, we have them today. And I, one of the greatest pleasures of writing this book is that I reread some books that I had been, uh, that I had first uh, approached when I was a young man. And one of them was Glickel, now in a translation by a teacher of mine, uh, Hava Turniansky, uh, a translation from Yiddish, old Yiddish, to English. Uh, but first she did a special edition into Hebrew. She lives in, in, in Israel and taught uh, at Hebrew University, a marvelous scholar. And that, that version uh, really opened up new ways of seeing for me. Um, it, it shows what a, a terrific scholar can do uh, to allow a text to blossom yet again, many, many uh, centuries after it was first published. And then put it next to Grace Paley, um, who was a friend of mine, who had an incredible voice as a writer, a a schmoozy, that means conversational, very engaging, very playful, very uh, down-to-earth, streetwise, I love the work of Grace Bailey. I love her short stories. I love her essays. I love her poems. And I see a big continuity between Glickel, uh, trapped in, in, in the mores of her time as a woman, and Grace trapped in her own limitations uh, as an activist during the Vietnam uh, in Central American wars, uh, very, very politically engaged also, with the environment, uh, with injustice and racism in this country. 
I think it would be wonderful to imagine them sitting together on a stage or on a page and talking to one another uh, across the, all those centuries. Which brings me to that terrific question, Lisa. I think that uh, I think that I've matured as a as a as a reader. Uh, at this point, age sixty, I would say that uh, if there's anything I'm proud of, is my career as a reader. Uh, the 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 gratitude that I feel for being able to go back to books that I read long time ago and realized that one never reads the same book twice, just as one never goes to the same river twice. Uh, the book changes because you change uh, and because the, the environment in which you're reading uh, has changed as well. And I find now that the greatest opportunities that I have as a reader are in rereading rather than in reading new stuff. I love being able to go back to old texts, but I have also felt more comfortable in part thanks to institutions like the Yiddish Book Center as, um, a, as, a, as a critic, a scholar who attempts to engage a larger audience and not only an academic audience who for that reason, uh, writes in what I hope is an accessible language. It, it, I think that this book, had I, uh, had I been approached uh, 20 years ago, I think my English would have been very different, my disposition, my, my comfort as a thinker, and as a scholar, uh, and as a reader would have been very different. Um, readers will judge, but I, I felt a kind of crowning uh, when the invitation came from Oxford at that particular point. I had just finished doing a couple of other big projects. And this was a way for me to summarize, to synthesize uh, my experience as a, as a Jewish reader uh, for 40, 50 years and do it in a language that was not my own uh, originally, English, but where I feel very comfortable now. And at a time when I know my readership much more in English than I ever did. So it was a, a happy moment. And I think of that, that the book is really in that sense, a statement of who I am at this particular time. Well, Elon, thank you for the book. Um, it, it does prompt a lot of conversation and you really, it does urge the reader to go and further discover the work. Um, so thank you for mapping That's this all out um, and for joining me today. So for our listeners, the book is Jewish Literature, a very short introduction. It's published by Oxford Press and it is available now everywhere. Yes? Yes. Excellent. Um, <laughs> Uh, thanks, as always. Um, I, I would ask you what you're working on now, but I'm sure it's 10 different projects. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's 10 different projects, Lisa, but a Groysen Bank, this is wonderful. It feels like a home, a, the schmooze, and a, conversing with you a, with the knowledge and with the, with the approach that you take. A, muchas gracias. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. See you uh, in person at the center very soon. Stay well and keep creating. Thank you. Thank you. 
You have been listening to The Schmooze, a production of the Yiddish Book Center in Amherst, Massachusetts. To learn more about this podcast and to subscribe, visit YiddishBookCenter.org. I'm Elizabeth Carteropoli. Until next time, be well and be healthy.